Get Up Nation. I hope you're enjoying the Get Up Nation podcast on www.anchor.fm. As a podcast host on over 20 platforms, I really enjoy how easy it is to use Anchor, how Anchor makes everything I need available in one place for free, accessible on your smartphone or desktop computer. Go to www.anchor.fm now. In case you didn't know, Anchor has creation tools that allow you to record and edit each episode. If you're concerned about the distribution of your hard work, don't sweat it because Anchor takes care of that too. If you're considering becoming a podcaster, I would highly recommend Anchor as your choice to begin sharing your content with the world. What up, Get Up Nation? My name is Ben Bennick, the host of the Get Up Nation podcast and co-author of Get Up, The Art of Perseverance with former Chicago Cub, Miami Marlin, and CEO of Lurong Living, Adam Greenberg. Welcome to episode 17 of the Get Up Nation podcast, which is brought to you by Ideal State Consulting, an organization committed to creating a new era of effective public service. Recently, I had the honor and privilege of speaking with Sammy Mansfield of Cancer Wellness for Life. In episode 17, we hear how Sammy's love of physical fitness and passion to serve the members of her community battling cancer is revolutionizing the medical community's understanding of what is possible when it comes to quality of life during cancer treatment. Sammy's passion to help pre-vivors and survivors sustain their highest quality of life at any point in their battle against cancer is becoming a worldwide movement that annihilates fear, helplessness, and isolation, and is revolutionizing how medical oncology treatment teams are caring for those battling cancer. You don't want to miss this one. Sammy, thank you for joining me on the Get Up Nation podcast. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. I love what you're doing with your organization, Cancer Wellness for Life, and I really want to explore what drove you to create this organization and the BUILD program that serves cancer survivors. I think a good place to start is your childhood in North Dakota. Other interviews you've done describe how you love fitness and athletics at an early age. You played on boys' soccer teams. You've mentioned how you weren't necessarily the most supremely gifted athlete, but you never hesitated to put in the work to achieve your gains. Can you go into how those experiences forged your personal work ethic, your grit, and your drive? Absolutely. Looking back, you know, when you're growing up, you just sort of do something because it feels right. You don't really think about it. Um, As an adult, I think we get trained to question everything. And growing up in North Dakota, I grew up in the capital of North Dakota, which is Bismarck, about 75,000 people. But my parents had me in a small private school, which meant that there was less opportunities, especially for girls who wanted to play soccer. And I, as a grade schooler, I really wanted to play soccer. It just seemed like a lot more fun. And so after the sort of rec soccer of second and third grade, my parents said, well, the only option for you is if you played on the boys team. And I think they felt that I would say, oh, no, that's okay. And I was like, okay, you know, why not? I learned really early on that if I wanted to do something that it may not have been what was ideal or what was kind of standardly thought about, but if there was an opportunity or a little bit of space, I was really interested in in going for that. And so my parents supported me, but they also were really mindful that uh, if I was going to be like this little tiny female creature running around with a boys' soccer team that I needed to get stronger. And so they kind of supported me doing a lot of extra practice and they would, they would definitely hang out with me and make sure that I was capable. But one of the things I realized is when I started playing with the boys, you know, boys are typically faster than girls. I hate to say it, but it's true. And so if I wanted to keep up with them, then I had to try even harder. It was like a hundred and ten percent every time. 
And I was not super talented naturally, so I would just practice for hours and hours, you know, just learning ball handling skills, practicing in my own backyard, and learn that that was the way that I was going to make it on that soccer field and have fun and not be sitting on the bench. And I've never been a bench player, so I was going to do whatever it took to get playing time as a, as a young adult. And that career worked out really well for me. And honestly, I'm so glad that it didn't come easy to me because now I know that if I put in the work and I'm just patient and consistent, that a lot of other um, opportunities open up just simply because I've put in more effort than the next person. I love it. I love that why not attitude. I love that mentality. I just see how that fits into what you're doing today and the progress and the innovation that can come from that. So let's transition forward to soon you moved to Kansas City. You're working in the fitness industry, and then you encountered a client named Kim. Can you share with our listeners what that interaction created in you? Absolutely. Looking back, I had just started working full-time at a large health club in Kansas City, which was my very first full-time career in fitness. So I was, like, so excited. And I just I thought it was going to be, like, the perfect opportunity to, you know, train people and and take my love of fitness and also make it my profession. And little did I know that I would actually start to specialize. And I never thought about it walking into a gym as a trainer. And so I had gotten this referral from our front desk, and there was a woman who had joined the gym. And again, her name is Kim. And they assigned her to me as kind of that new trainer. And they're like, you know, Simi, you've got the right personality for her. You're bubbly. And she's just really looking for someone to help motivate her. She was struggling with motivation with all they told me. And so I called Kim. And I was like, hey, I'm Simi. You know, want to schedule your appointment. Tell me about you. And I believe maybe five minutes of conversation of her telling me, you know, I've been through breast cancer, and she had gone through the chemotherapy. She got through radiation. She's already had a bilateral mastectomy. She's having problems with her implants, and she has lymphedema. And I'm jotting furiously these notes. And I think to myself, okay, I'm going to look all of this up later. And her last comment was, do you think you can help me? And I was like, absolutely, because I think fitness is magical, right? And I just believed that so many of the side effects, both clinically and emotionally, like worry and fears that she had and sleep challenges she had could be improved through fitness because we know that many of the factors that our cancer survivors experience can be improved through fitness, yet often we're scared to recommend fitness. And so back, this has been 15 years ago now for me, there wasn't evidence saying one thing or the other. And so I just took the belief system in sort of either my naive attitude or my confidence and just said, let's go for it. And we did. And we changed a lot of her lifestyle. And she influenced me to realize this niche that I, from day one I felt I could make a difference in. And, and that changed the complete direction of my career. And what's cool is Kim is still a great friend of mine today. Um, so she's still in my life and we joke back to she she impacted my career to be exactly what it is and how we've paid it forward. It's pretty cool to really think about that conversation today. As you began to serve cancer survivors and understand the powerful role of fitness in their treatment and healing process, a medical organization recognized the importance of what you're doing and created a position for you. Can you describe that process? It's kind of the golden question people ask me about today is how did I get where I am? Um so about seven years in, in working independently as a trainer and running programs for hospitals in Kansas City, you know, like a monthly class here and there, um, a 
a community cancer center approached me and said, hey, you know, we're, we're sending a lot of referrals to you. Would you be interested in coming help develop a wellness program for us? And I joke that I was kind of, I was like, no, I don't know. You know, I'm really happy doing what I do. And I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to go work for anybody else, you know, coming from years of being self-employed. And I'm just sort of an entrepreneur by heart. But they incentivized me at the time. You know, they gave me full benefits and time off. And I thought, okay, I'll try it. And they actually let me come work part-time. And I started working in clinics and in cancer centers where I was working with patients before they'd even start treatment or they maybe were one treatment in and hadn't experienced a lot of the side effects. And I really started to realize how important it was to recommend exercise and good nutrition habits from day one as part of how we would care for patients. Because historically, clinical care is very clinical. We prescribe medications for nausea and sleep and depression because that's what clinicians understand the best. And they're not against fitness, but it's just not a language they speak generally well. And so what I realized from that experience, which was in 2010, was if we could start talking to patients from the very beginning when they were engaged and doing whatever they could, and they maybe weren't down the road of having so many side effects, we could improve how they lived through a lot of the treatments versus after. And so I became very motivated by that process. Um, we grew. I decided to give up that what was left of kind of that part-time training and come to work uh, full-time in the cancer center environment, which is where I've been in some capacity for a number of years. Um, now, I recently switched, actually it'll be a year this week, to going um, independently full force on Cancer Wellness for Life, and now we contract with hospitals and healthcare organizations to provide a program that really fits into their niche, and so we do more consulting services. And that's another just kind of shift in our direction of, of speaking to leadership of hospitals and showing them how fitness and wellness impact how they care for patients. And so my uh, career has kind of taken a, a circle around. To be honest, I'm not sure some days how I got here, other than, <laughs> again, going back to that, you just do it every day, right? You just keep one foot in front of the other because you believe in it and you see the impact. And then people come around and say, hey, I, I see what you're doing. Can you help us do it? And I'm so grateful for where I'm at and grateful for the people that believe in what I do, but also I've been doing this for 15 years. So once you immerse yourself in that medical environment, can you describe how you brought your fitness expertise into it and began to discover gaps in the cancer treatment services, which has led to you being so successful in consulting today? You know, it was at first I was really nervous to talk to patients and to go back to the physicians and clinicians and kind of say, hey, you know, this patient really needs to participate in this service or whatever that may be. And um, so I really realized that unless a physician encouraged a patient to exercise, the majority of patients just weren't sure if they should. Um, I joke, but it, in all seriousness, I call cancer the red light district. And the reason I say that very often is because we provide a lot of the do nots. Don't do this. Don't go into crowds. You know, don't eat this food. Then, and there's also scary things people read online or hear from other people. And often we forget the do's. We forget to remind people it's really important to move every day. And not only just move, but to exercise every day because 
cancer treatments, medications, and also just the experience require you to be more sedentary, maybe sleep more. And that deconditioning process means you lose muscle, which leads to fatigue and joint aches and all of these other things. And what I really realized, one of the major gaps where we weren't encouraging people and telling people and reminding our patients and their caregiving teams of what they should do. And so I've worked really hard over the last, especially decade, on bringing in services. You know, we have a great clinical dietitian in our groups and, and bringing that nutrition service in so patients to learn what they should eat. And it is okay to eat certain fruits and vegetables. Maybe they're frozen versus fresh or whatever that is. And so it's really identifying the gaps of what they can and should do so they feel more like a cancer survivor and less like a patient. Because a lot of times patients feel very out of control. They show up when they're told to show up. They try to fall in line. And because of that, I think they often lose the choices that they're used to making. And so we work really hard to give them those choices back. I love that attention to detail. You identified where the gaps are and that simple and direct understanding of what these people are going through leads to these innovative and impactful things that it sounds like they're just kind of getting missed. And it just shows It just shows how much you care about the people you serve. And although you're invested in cancer research, consulting, and and developing Cancer Wellness for Life, you love those face-to-face interactions with those you serve in the BUILD program. What is it that you love about those interactions? When you work with, you know, people every day, like, there's nothing better than seeing somebody say smile or, or have that kind of hopeful expression, especially in a really known negative world. People think of cancer, very few times do we think of like joyful times. I mean, most of our connotations are are negative, you know, sickness and nausea or whatever that may be. And so working in build, working in that frontline fitness is watching people get excited when they can do something that they never thought they would be able to do or they weren't sure that they could do. So maybe someone who's very fit comes through a cancer experience and they start back in an exercise program, they tend to be a little uncertain of their physical strength and well-being because they thought they maybe did everything, you know, right according to what their lifestyle was, and all of a sudden they have cancer. And often cancer isn't related to purely lifestyle changes like smoking or poor diet. You can have your fittest, healthiest individual who can have a horrible diagnosis and die from it, and they've done everything right. And then somebody on the other side who's terrible lifestyle and never has a cancer diagnosis. So I think that is very scary for people, and they lose faith. So for me, front lines working in the fitness world is showing them that a squat or maybe a shoulder press or, like, even a burpee, it empowers them to realize what their body still is capable of. It builds that confidence back. And there's nothing like seeing somebody smile over doing something that they didn't think they were going to do that day, and you know it's going to carry them through for days after that. And that makes me happy. That's why I do what I do. It shows your grit, and I love how you unflinchingly face it. You go into the trenches with them. You look at the people you serve in the eye. It forces you then to be effective in what you do because there's no hiding there. That's a place where they're vulnerable, and you're saying, I'm here with you. 
and I'm going to give you the best possible program to increase the quality of your life. I just love that grit that just shows how much you care about these people. That's absolutely the truth. And because I am fortunate enough to have worked in this profession as long as I have, I just have a lot of confidence in my experience and I use that to have confidence in my participants every single day. But I think we get sometimes overcomplicated and we we're so fearful, right? We look at a cancer survivor and we think that, you know, they're weak. And we begin to like, oh, you know, they've gone through cancer. And I think we really miss how strong a cancer survivor really is. And I've heard it on other podcasts that you've done and we all have that experience. And so for me, it's sometimes like I take that on for them because they don't have that today. It's kind of like being a good cheerleader, right? But you know what? I, I've seen it my entire career. And even in those that we've lost, I feel that fitness and wellness gave them better quality of life to the days that they were here. When you fuse your experience with what's happening directly with these patients, it seems to me that it doesn't let anything get lost in the shuffle. It creates that innovation. It prevents missed opportunities for effectiveness. As a leader in this, how do these face-to-face interactions help you persevere through challenges as you've developed this program? Remind me every single day why I do what I do. If I ever doubt for a second the power of what I do. I have so many people that I could lean on that shouldn't be able to do what they do, right? And I find that fascinating because who really makes those norms? You know, somebody goes through a certain type of cancer and the common, you know, response is, oh, they're never going to be able to do X again. But there's really honestly so much opportunity in looking at those that actually do it. And I'll never forget, I have a, had a woman I worked with, about, it's probably been about five years now, and she went through primary breast cancer, and after about 15 or 16 years, something like that, it came back metastatic or stage four. So at this point, she was incurable. However, many of our metastatic cancer survivors live for years, and, and they're dependent on a lot of factors. And so they gave her a 3% chance of living five years. And she said to me, And I will never forget this. She goes, somebody has to be in the 3%. Why wouldn't it be me? Why wouldn't it be you? I look at all the professionals in fitness across our country and our world, and there's very few of them in cancer, yet there's 15 million or 16 million cancer survivors in the United States. And I think to myself, why are there not more of me, right? And, you know, in the beginning, people thought, oh, it's crazy. Cancer survivors are sick, blah, 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 blah. But you know what? It was that same percentage of I'm going to do this and I'm still in a very small percentage which is one of the reasons I started Build because I would love Build to grow. Why wouldn't you, right? Why wouldn't you want to work with that population? So I think that's always something they remind me there's those one and two percenters that remind me every day that it's worth it. It's worth it every single day to push boundaries because that's how we make progress. Even in cancer, we make progress by pushing boundaries, trying new things, and we figure it out as we go. We've always wow. done that. That is a powerful example of how the grit in you has responded to the grit and tenacity in those people who are facing these intense diagnoses. And what I love about your program is that you serve people preparing for the, the battle with cancer who are currently in the battle with cancer or have just endured the fight of their life against cancer. And so you're with them through the whole process. You fearlessly say, where are you at in that process? And you bring your, your skills and your expertise to the table increasing quality of life. I think that is a priceless way for a person to live their life and share their life with others. Certainly, if that was ever something that I was facing, I would want somebody like you in my corner to 
help me make the absolute most of those uh, moments that I that I have and during that battle. You've mentioned in prior interviews the reality that cancer is scary and how people often think of CrossFit workouts as scary. Part of mm-hmm. your process is, is removing fear. What's it like for those you serve when they move through their fear of cancer, their fear of the gym, their fear of workout, and arrive at a place where they palpably feel the benefits of the BUILD program? I think we all have fears, right? And most of our fears are fear of failure. You know, we don't want to do something sometimes unless we fail, yet, you know, we hear day after day, we all make fail. We all fail at certain things. And I feel, honestly, that when people walk in the door or they talk to me about fitness or or wellness, they want me to dispel their fears. If they wouldn't want me to dispel their fears, they probably wouldn't ask. So they're they're telling me their fears so I can come along as a professional and go, hey, you don't have to worry about that. We We got that. Like, we have you. Just the same reason that people go to a medical oncologist when they have a cancer diagnosis because they want someone to help them get over their fears. So when people come into the gym, like we all have, and if anybody has ever gone into, say, CrossFit or you've seen the CrossFit games or which we're starting, you know, the Open right now, when we have a world where we can compare ourselves to the top athletes in the world in a sport and we look, oh, my gosh, I could never be then, well, I look back. I was never going to be a professional soccer player. I just I didn't have maybe that skill, nor did I really want to, yet we're on the same playing field. In CrossFit, it's the same thing. But I realized, why would we compare ourselves to the top people? Instead, we need to look within ourselves. And so in our world of build, the best part is that they're in a community where the person standing next to them had a similar path in the door. They had the same words spoken to them, like, I'm sorry, we found out, here's your cancer diagnosis. And that person, that survivor, wonders if they're going to die. That is a common question that every cancer survivor I know goes through their head. And nothing nothing supports them better than the person next to them that has heard the same things and had the same fears. So the cancer fears is the power of the community to support one another. The fitness fears is something that I help them overcome. Like, you can do a squat. You do a squat every day. The difference is you just sort of plop your butt down on a chair, but now I'm going to teach you how to do it well. And now you're going to know how to move weight correctly and so that when you go to do your yard work this spring, your back isn't going to hurt and you're not going to be in bed for five days. And so for most people, it's just building that confidence in and helping them feel that confidence, finding the right exercises that they can and should do, And honestly, build is never going to be Olympic lifting class because that's not what our athletes really are there for. Yet we do versions of all of the main CrossFit movements so they get a good base of fitness. And for them, it's learning to do it that takes away their fears because now they know they can. You've described how survivors often lose faith in their physical well-being after a cancer diagnosis. You describe how this affects their spirit and their ability to fight. Will you expand on that for our listeners and how you strategically alter the perception that cancer makes people weak into the reality that cancer makes people strong? That's a great one. Um, if we, and, and I think even for the listeners, you know, we when you hear that someone has cancer or you run into maybe a friend or somebody that you've worked with perhaps and you know they've had cancer, your immediate reaction is almost like this sympathetic, like, oh, how you doing? And I feel that that's our perception of our cancer survivors is, you know, they're sick, they've been through this fight, we use a lot of these words, and we 
we treat them almost like with bubble wrap. And I think it's our our responsibility to realize we talk about it, and you talk about it on your podcast and your mission in life, that so much inner strength people have and where they, they that inner strength comes from when they're faced with a really horrible um, choice. You know, it's either go through this crappy treatment and surgeries or you're going to die from this. That is a really tough choice, but it's still a choice. And so we really need to take a step and look at how strong our cancer survivors are, that they show up, they do what we ask them to do because they have hope. On the other side, they're a survivor. But what we also need to reflect on and we need to, we do a lot in the clinical world is we beat the heck out of them for months with treatments and medications and all of these other things. And so I know how how strong their heart is to fight, how strong their mental fortitude is and their, like, we grit and their resilience, but their physical body isn't caught up to that. So I've made it my mission in life, both in the clinical world and in the community, to bring those pieces together and empower others to treat cancer survivors differently, recognize their strengths, and then build up the weaknesses. And that's kind of flipping that switch, to me, is where we have a lot of opportunity in the world that you and I work in to really make a difference in um, helping our survivors live better after cancer, not just live after cancer. So the BUILD program leads to a 56% decrease in fatigue, 22% increase in lean muscle, and a 46% increase in productivity. By tailoring your functional fitness program to each person's physical needs and abilities, it channels them toward quality of life. For those who aren't familiar with the realities associated with surviving cancer, will you share with Get Up Nation the significance of this? Great question. We all want quality of life. Everybody has had different measurement of quality. It might be playing with grandkids or being able to go to church or sing in the choir or whatever that is. And all of the listeners will have one or two or three things that are really important to us to feel human. And so we really look at what are the main side effects of cancer and treatments, and fatigue is the number one side effect for our cancer survivors. What we've learned through not only research and just clinical data, but also working with patients, is that exercise is the most significant fatigue improver across the board, because a lot of fatigue comes from that pure deconditioning. So I know we're in flu season right now, and a lot of us had had um colds or respiratory infections and just a few days of being sick and you feel like you're just behind the curveball. And for our survivors, that fatigue tends to be chronic and long-lasting. So we really look at how can we help them get through their days better. I use car analogies a lot. I'm not a car woman, but I'm married to a car guy. And we talk about, you know, fine-tuning your whatever your Lamborghini or whatever your car is, you know, bigger engine, stronger engine, making sure everything's tuned up. And so that's really what we do because, honestly, at the end of the day, the focus is every day should be quality. Every day you should be able to do what you want to do, not have to make choices because you don't have enough energy to go and have a social lunch with people that make you happy. Or you have to say no to taking care of your grandkids just because you're too tired. So quality has always been the priority of our functional fitness program. It's about the gym, but it's really about the hours outside of the gym that we feel make a big difference. What are some common misconceptions patients or providers have that you challenge with the BUILD program and Cancer Wellness for Life? I think it's still a misconception that someone during treatment shouldn't exercise. And honestly, at the end of the day, we're becoming more and more evidence-based on 
the power of exercise, whether it's in a rehab setting, like outpatient rehab or a fitness setting, and how important it is to all of the side effects, and even the big picture of what patients report, again, going back to quality. So it might be sleep, and so if they're, they're not sleeping well, then of course they're going to be tired and they're going to have more anxiety or whatever that may be. And so it's really putting in the power that exercise specifically and fitness are important from the day of diagnosis. If someone hasn't been doing it, they need to start now. If they're getting ready for surgery or they want to know what they can do to get stronger for treatment, the answer isn't nothing. The answer is, you know what, this is the best time to start getting on a regular fitness program, even if it's five minutes a day. Time to start eating eating well and increasing your protein. And I think there's a lot of misconception that when you have cancer, you just go through cancer. And that's actually not true. And even the newest research is showing that our sickest patients, our ones that are at the bottom and the most side effects, are the ones that benefit the most from these interventions. And so we're starting to really change our efforts to making sure that we recommend all of these components in the right modalities. They're going to be different for everybody, but from day one. And start part of what a patient can do to help in their care. And and that's exciting to see because our doctors are even getting on board on that. They may not know how to promote it correctly, but at least they can point the direction to programs such as BUILD, and that's very key for what we are doing. The functional fitness offerings, they're not just limited to CrossFit gyms, right? These can be done in other uh, fitness environments as well. Yeah, and we've worked with YMCA, worked with CrossFit, and we've worked with a couple of other fitness groups. BUILD is really just geared on functional fitness for someone that's a cancer survivor or we have some what we call previvors that have come through our group. Um, previvors are somebody that has a genetic mutations such as BRCA, which leads to breast or ovarian cancer, and they've had to have the surgeries and um, such as mastect- uh, mastectomies and hysterectomies and hormonal medications sometimes to you know block or lower their risk of cancer. And we embrace that population as well. Um, so we we have a little bit of gray zone. But honestly, I think if we really take a look at our population, we're in one of three categories. Either we're preventing cancer, which is the goal, we are going through it, or we're a survivor. And so we encompass everybody, yet we really understand the unique needs of someone that's gone through um, those surgeries and those treatments. For any listeners that are recently diagnosed or have concerns about cancer, What are ways that BUILD and Cancer Wellness for Life goes above and beyond common medical treatment regimens to support cancer survivors? Well, I think our program is just really unique of of leaning heavily on the functional fitness movement just versus just exercise. It's been historically prescribed to go walk, which we've learned doesn't really do much for fatigue and a lot of side effects such as neuropathy or loss of feeling in your toes affect people's ability to walk. And so we, we've really leveraged on creating a unique program. Um, we offer online programming that people could purchase and be able to do the program in their own gym. But we understand, again, a lot of the clinical side of cancer, the fitness side of cancer, and also the emotional side of cancer. So someone could feel like, oh, I, I really need that emotional motivation and that kind of coaching. And that's a service that we offer because it, it's not – People lack motivation sometimes. Um, That's just obviously a challenge in our world or they're busy. They have a hard time fitting it in. And we really want to be able to maximize um, our knowledge and experience and the unique services that we offer 
to be able to help anybody and understand every specific type of cancer, whether it's breast or pancreatic or if they've had a bone marrow transplant. And fortunately, because I've been doing this a long time, um, I have that experience and to be able to roll that experience into really helping anybody. And I feel very confident in that um, and delivering that today. There's power and solidarity in those who have faced death together. A lot of my guests on the Get Up Mission podcast are from the veteran community. And I see a similarity here with a group of people who are facing a very grim diagnosis. In one of your prior interviews, you said there's something about someone standing next to you. Uh, will you share the sense of community and solidarity that is experienced at BUILD? Absolutely. You know, that's actually one of the most powerful things that exists. You know, I'm just a conduit. I bring some survivors together, and then they take care of one another. They they get it. You know, they get the same fears and challenges, and they've all, again, like we talk about, you know, they've heard that scary, those scary words, and then they're standing there thinking to themselves, gosh, you know, my back is really bothering me today. Is it my cancer coming back? And the person next to him might say, oh, yeah, you know, it's that workout that we did the other day, and my back's really sore too, and that helps them understand that it isn't always life leading with the cancer. It's cancer's part of who they are, but it's not really the top of their list. And the community, honestly, is much more powerful in that than I am because I've never had cancer. I've been fortunate enough to go through my life so far and never heard that word or those words to me. So that community is definitely something that they get it. They've been through it. They've sat in those chairs. They still face the fears years later. They take care of one another. And I think that is something that you you can't just make up and create. It's just something that's naturally built in, as you mentioned, really similar to the veteran community. And sometimes those communities do fit together a lot. You mentioned in one of your prior interviews a married couple who had both mm-hmm. survived a cancer diagnosis and how they encourage and push each other with an empathy that goes beyond what most people understand Could you describe what you witnessed with this amazing couple? They went through cancer five years apart. He went through head and neck cancer, and then five years later, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so um, the wife had a role as a caregiver first and then had to really push her focus to take care of herself and to be a little bit less of a caregiver. And both of them experienced really challenging treatment patterns or treatment side effects, I guess would be a better way to describe it. In a lot of the side effects that you hear, they both went through heavy amounts of those side effects. And so when they came out the other side and then also dealt with a lot of challenges, used all their paid time off and sick leave and savings to get through this diagnosis, they're finishing on the other side and they're done and they've supposedly gone through the war. And yet at the end of it, they feel like the storm has kind of gone through their own lives and they're kind of picking up pieces. And what was powerful and is powerful at watching them work out together is using fitness as a way to take out some of their stressors. The wife in this couple, she loves when we do things like tire flipping or taking like the, you know, hammer strikes, something where she can kind of take out a little bit of aggression and lifting heavy things because it helps her feel strong when she doesn't always feel strong in life, when she's scared that something's going to come back and they don't have the resources. And also watching them push each other in a positive way, it really has been powerful to see that communication and that sort of healing together. Because a lot of times when we go through these experiences, everybody wants to get to the light at the end of the tunnel and then move on. But what you're left with is still a lot of challenges. 
and watching them in the build program, they've used the build program to help them face these challenges and move through these challenges. And I think that's pretty cool. It's been really fun to see. And they're so strong to see them use that to their advantage. I love that. What effect does your groups have on non-cancer survivor populations at the gym? I I feel like even our non-build athletes at the gym have all been affected by cancer. Many times I've had some uh, another member who I kind of know stop me after class and ask me about family member that's gone through or is going through or a new diagnosis of cancer. So, you know, they see it. Also, what's really powerful is when somebody um, comes, you know, to one of our, like we have Build Survivor Saturdays quarterly where we do a community event and we have our survivors share their story. In our program right now, we have a woman who is a two-time pancreatic cancer survivor, and I talk about her often. She's been going through this second bout of pancreatic cancer for about 18 months now, and I really believe that having her in build has made such a difference in how she's living through this bout of pancreatic cancer. She's been on treatment the entire time. And when a non-cancer survivor hears her story, they kind of look at you like, I can't complain about my shoulder being sore or my back being sore, or I just don't, I'm too tired to come in the gym. I mean, it it tells them there's no excuses and to prioritize fitness, but also be grateful. I'm grateful every day that I'm healthy and well, and I'm able to do so many things. It kind of puts your life into perspective. And I, I feel like our members of the gym are really proud that we also take care of cancer survivors right alongside our people that would love to train for regionals. So I, I think it, it rounds out our community more than some gyms, and I think that's a really powerful place to be. What are some specific powerful examples you've experienced during your service of the cancer survivor community, which caused you to be so passionate about what you do? That's a great question. I have so many amazing stories in my career where, you know, I, I, I do what I do because it's just what I do, and I, I'm not afraid to go up to somebody and tell them how important I think fitness and exercise is for them. And when somebody tells me later, you know, you gave me hope, Sammy, like I, I was losing hope, or I was so frustrated that I couldn't take care of my grandkids anymore, or I couldn't take care of my my own basic needs anymore, like I felt like I needed help going to the grocery store, and you helped me get back to living my life and being the person that I am. I'm going to go back to using my pancreatic cancer survivor as in my example, because pancreatic cancer, for, for your listeners, um, is a five-year survival rate of 7%. And Denise, who's our, our woman who's fighting pancreatic cancer in our group, She went through pancreatic, um, went through the chemotherapy radiation, a really aggressive surgery called a Whipple, um, where they open you up, put you back together, and there it takes months to recover from. And I met her after that surgery, and she was a tiny little lady. She's short, petite, and we got her going in fitness after her first Whipple five years ago. And when I started Build, which was in September of 2016, I called Denise and said, hey, I have this new program. You know, I, I thought you might be interested in it. She's like, did you know my, my pancreatic cancer came back? And I was like, no, I didn't. I had kind of been out of the loop. And I said, well, I, I have a program for you. And when Denise started that class, she would wear her chemotherapy fanny pack under her shirt. She was totally bald. She was also really bloated from the steroids, and she was just weak. And she would do her own workouts, a version of the build workouts, right? And she would do what we call baby bell, which is this little yellow five-pound kettlebell. And her goal was, I want to get past Baby Bell, and I want to do the regular workouts. 
And it took us probably five or six months to get there. And now this is a woman who, you know, puts up her own Christmas lights and works in her yard and takes care of all of the things that are important to her. She sews and quilts and she lives her life as a two-time pancreatic cancer survivor when she doesn't, I think her chances of being here are probably in the 3%. But as I mentioned earlier, somebody has to be in that percentage. And so I use Denise's story as, you know, it's a choice. She shows up to class, she works hard, but now she's able to live such a full life. And she inspires me to push other people harder that this is important. This is as important to me as your chemotherapy regimen. And that, you know, using her story, um, I think is very powerful to realize it is important. And, and we should we should be mindful of that. And I just want to direct the listeners to the video you have at cancerwellnessforlife.com where those that Sammy serves are talking about the effect that Sammy's program has had on their life, and it features Denise and mm-hmm. others. It's worth the time to click on that video and watch what's happening there. Whether you've ever been affected in your life by cancer personally or with anybody that you care about, that is a video that I would highly recommend for anybody listening to this podcast. Tammy, for those organizations who want to draw upon your skills and expertise to bring the BUILD program to their gym or their medical organization or whatever organization they are, how should they contact you? You probably the easiest place is through our website, which is cancerwellnessforlife.com, spelled out with F-O-R uh, for the four. And my direct contact information is right on that webpage. You can contact me either through my cell phone or email. We're on the main social media channels, uh, mostly on Instagram, Cancer Wellness for Life. And then also I'm on Twitter, which is Be Well with Sammy. But I think our webpage is probably the most important thing and can connect you to the, the other resources that we provide as well. And I and I welcome anybody that's interested in getting into this for wherever they live. It takes a village. And so the more people that we can connect together through this conversation that you've allowed me to be on, Ben, is I'm more than happy to talk to anybody. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the Get Up Mission podcast audience about your work? You know, I think that what I would really love to share is kind of going back to my last comment that it takes a village. And, you know, for anybody that's listening that knows somebody that's been affected by cancer, and, and you're in that wellness fitness community, it's treating those cancer survivors the way that realizing how strong they are and recognizing um, that connection and doing what you can in your community, making a difference, whether that's encouraging somebody to take a walk or bringing them into your gym or doing something, maybe helping them out, making a meal, but a healthy one, not just a frozen casserole. Those, all those things are really great ways that we can help cancer survivors. And let's not shy from it because honestly, In our lifetime, one in two people will go through a cancer experience, and so it's everywhere. So I think we just need not shy away from it and and realize how strong our survivors really are. Absolutely. Sammy, I always end the show with six quick-fire questions to help my audience gain a greater understanding of what makes my guests exceptional. Are you willing to run through them with me? I'd love to. Who are you thankful for today? You, Ben, uh, for allowing me to be on on this podcast an awesome opportunity, so I thank you very much for helping me spread my mission. It's an honor to do so. What thank are you. you thankful for today? You know, where I'm at, I, I have a great platform in healthcare and, and a great reputation in healthcare and in the fitness world, and I have such fortunate ability to share my message every single day, and in the world that we live in with the power of social media, I, I'm just very grateful that there's these opportunities so people don't feel so alone um, and they feel more inspired. 
I love that. How do you fuel the fire within you? Super easy. I just talk to somebody that's been affected by cancer, and I'm surrounded by those folks every single day in my clinic. I can't walk five feet and not have a chance to talk to somebody and share my message, and they remind me that I'm on the right path, that I need to keep my foot on the gas. That's amazing. I love that because of the fearlessness of it. I love how you're (laughs) charging into something that most people get confronted with and want to turn away from or shy away from, and you charge headlong right into it, and it has created this passion within you that is creating so many uh, powerful and positive things for so many. I love that. What is one thing that adversity has taught you to value? The simple things. Uh, Today here in Kansas City, it is an awesome sunny day, and, you know, it takes nothing for granted, and that just, I love that. You know, we just came back from a little trip to the beach, um, as you know, and being by the ocean every day, it just, just living life, not worrying about, you know, what your mortgage is or anything like that. It's just the simple things that are around you and the company that you have and valuing that every single day. What are you doing today you never thought you could? Changing how medical oncology teams think about taking care of survivors. 15 years ago, I was nervous and scared to ever talk to a doctor about what I thought was important. And today, they come and find me and ask me how they can help their patient. And that is phenomenal. I'm, I'm so grateful for that. And what will you do tomorrow that you never thought you could? Uh, Continue to expand Build. That's my vision. Inspire more people to want to have a program like Build, even if it's their own program in their facilities, because I'm one person. So tomorrow, I feel like, you know, whether tomorrow is actually tomorrow or next week, next month, I know we'll have more programs. I know more people will get inspired. And that, even a couple years ago, I thought I would just have Kansas City kind of my little bubble. And now I see the power of, of the world. And I think that is just opening up my eyes. So I'm really proud of that. Sammy, thank you for taking time out for Get Up Nation. It's been a pleasure and an honor. Thank you, Ben. Thank you for having me. Isn't it remarkable when we speak with people who have not allowed themselves to be distracted away from important things? Those important things who are people we see every day who bear their breath alongside of us and who we have often so little idea of who they are. In the middle of the whirlwind of everything we do and see and think and say are people like Sammy Mansfield. She discovered a unique position for her passion in the trenches alongside those who battle cancer. She refused to let the people she serves slip through the cracks. She refuses to allow a system to ignore the key moments that create quality of life. Get Up Nation, find your grit. Find it within you to not allow systems to be in place that do not serve effectively. Be that conduit of passion and innovation. Ensure that our systems are for people by people. Be that person that doesn't sit idly by. Let your breath take fire and create the world we all want.